All right. This is Pastor Joey. Yeah. Yeah. And this is Jared, his brother. <laughs> hey, do you remember Joe? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Do they do that anymore? Like, didn't they say, like, so we we watched finals NBA together. That was kind of bonding time for me and you on summers. Like, we would stay right. up late. Dad would go to bed, and we'd write down what happened and all that stuff. It seems like... In those Piston series against the Lakers and then against uh, the Trailblazers, didn't they say that after after every score? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Bill Embiid! Yeah, I definitely remember that. Oh, man. those that, I'm telling you, the 90s is like... Matt and Toby, they make fun of me that I'm a, a late 90s, early 2000 guy with movies, music, and absolutely everything i disagree because i think nba's heyday was early to mid 90s yeah i'll agree but, there. but maybe 90s is my favorite decade i don't know i that de- definitely some of the best movies came out in the 90s for sure i mean forrest yeah. gump shawshank oh man I would, yeah i would argue though like i would say for, for me nba would be like 85 to 95 oh snap so the yeah. boston celtic laker right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think did, didn't Jordan start in the NBA like eighty eight or something or eighty seven? Like he was no. definitely mid to late eighties. Come on, Jared. Jared. What? Jared. What? Jared. Eighty. I'm gonna guess eighty four was his rookie season. That early? Yeah. Four. Because he he remember he was he he took the route that most of the greats had to take with not winning a championship for a, for a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 84, though. I can't believe that. Okay. No, I mean, it's, it, I guess that makes sense. Like, the Pistons had the best of, you know, the, yeah, so playing career, 84 to 93. He didn't even play 10 years. Oh, that's right. Duh. He came back 95, 98. Right. And then 2001, 2003. So, yeah. all right. Well, let me ask you something. We have talked to a lot of different characters on this podcast lots of people lots of different perspectives i think i want to go so far as to say it seems like in in the church there used to be only room for a certain type of believing christian so in other words there there are certain things that used to be essentials that are no longer essentials and people can still be considered to be Christians. So it's like the circle is widening and it seems like it's it's in a good way. So the circle widening for people to say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I also believe that people can get to God through Hindu spirits or, you know, that would not be a healthy widening circle. But it seems like the circle is widening from the perspective of some people are just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on inerrancy or I'm not sold that such and such a sin is really a sin, even though it seems like the Bible is, is clear yeah, on that. I would say though that I would say that's more of a product of your own personal circle of friends and social circle and church circle widening, not because I think that if you still went 
to the same church you went back and went to back in 1988, it would still be that very close-minded Christianity. Yeah, but what I, what I'm saying though is okay. I I think I see what you're saying. It's it seems though then that more people in the church are accepting of people that they wouldn't be accepting of back in the day. So I guess what I'm saying is maybe the cultures that we were a part of are 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 dwindling or they don't have the biggest voice anymore. So yeah, an, an example that I would give you. is is Peter Inns. He's an author that I think most people would say he's a Christian where 15 years ago almost all Christians would say he can't be a Christian. There's no way. Well, I'm not really familiar with Peter Inns, so what would make people say that he's not a that what what would be some of the fodder people would use? Not to say a literal not translation of Genesis. Um, not taking uh, the the Bible and you know as, as something that's inerrant. You know, just basically, man, we we've got to figure out how to how to really think this through and 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 not read the Bible so strictly. In other words, but okay. he's still. A believer. It just seems like there's room for those guys where there used to not be a choice. And I, and I'll tell you, that may make some people uncomfortable, but no one can argue against the fact that it definitely in this day and age, it, it's Christianity is something that is more accessible to people that don't believe. And we all know that Jesus is is the core. Jesus is what people need to meet. So even if that accessibility, if if somebody wants to say, well, that's not healthy because I don't believe that way, <clears throat> if it ends in Jesus, isn't it a good thing? Yeah, I think that's true. But I think I think we've had guests on the, this podcast who, who would call themselves Christians. It would it would still argue that that Jesus isn't. It's not all about Jesus. There's other yeah, things yeah. that can get you there. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, ultimately, it's about Jesus, and I'll, I'll, I agree with that 100%. Um, but I think, though, that I think the circle of Christianity is widened to even accept people who don't, who go further out than that into the circle of Christianity. And I don't think that's healthy, personally. Well, give me an example of that. Well, I just think that there's definitely, uh, I think, Christians nowadays who would say there are other roads that can lead to salvation other than Jesus. Gotcha. And to me, that's heresy. Yeah, but how how is, how is that Christianity? Well, these same people can call themselves Christians. Okay, so basically, they just get to use the term Christian any way they want. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think I think it's healthy. I think that I think dialogue is always healthy. Um, I think that as long as it's done in a humble respectful, and really God-fearing spirit, then I think dialogue is always the best thing to do. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. But I do think, though, I, I really do believe that we can, as Christians, still call bullshit on things that we think is heresy. Yeah. So, and I think that, you know, as long as we don't do it in a really mean-spirited, haughtier-than-thou attitude, but I think there are core doctrines that you can't mess with. Right. And I think we're right to, to, call, you know, to, to call it as that. Right. Yeah, what I'm frustrated with is is when people that are willing to take that stand, whether I whether I agree with 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 what they're specifically talking about or not, 
they shouldn't be looked down on for saying, no, I'm sticking with this. Like, this is what I'm sticking with. Like, to me, that's when it gets crazy. Like, like for, for example, okay, so there's starting to be a little more dialogue and, and a little more openness towards the, the gay community. And in Christian circles, people even pointing to the Bible saying, no, I'm not so convinced that, that, it's, that it's that black and white. For Christians that would say, I, I can't help it, it seems black and white to me, they shouldn't be seen as hateful people. I mean, are oh, you kidding yeah, me? Totally now, yeah. now, for sure, there are a lot and a lot, and I mean a lot of Christians that are very hateful Hate towards children. the gay community. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. for sure, but it's not because of their belief, it's because of their actions. It's because exactly. of how they carry out their belief. But uh, that's insane for someone to say, hey, because of your belief, you're hateful. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I agree. And that's, that's where this dialogue, this open dialogue, which I agree I, I, with you, that's, I think it's so important these days. That's why this dialogue has to be conducted with humility and love and, and God fear, you know? Yeah. But the, the moment you start putting, injecting your own, you know, biases into the conversation, that's when things take a wrong turn. Well, I, though I would want to push back on you and say we all inject our biases. I don't think we have the capacity not to. Like, how, how I, do we? Like, you, you read the Bible. No, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I guess, I guess the, that was a poor word choice. I think whenever you start pushing things that aren't clearly in line with what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's not even a good way to say it. I guess when we become full of ourselves to where we become blinded to A, the Holy Spirit, B, someone else who's wiser than us or that has wisdom that's different than ours, we start like just kind of blindly excluding those factors. I guess that's what I'm talking about. Gotcha. You're not being open-minded. You're not being humble. You're kind of closed, yeah. closed up. Gotcha. All right. Well, you guys can see the direction that this episode is going in, and you would be wrong. We're going to be talking about something totally different than all of this. We're going to be talking about money. Is it okay to be a rich Christian? What does tithing look like? What, you know, what's what's the difference between hoarding and saving? Should Christians even save? Should we invest? All these questions. We're going to be sitting down with Jack Hoy the father, and he's got some good insight on this topic. Before we do that, though, I want to thank all of our listeners for a lot of the interaction and people writing us, expressing appreciation for these conversations. It is actually, I'll just go right out there and say, it is very neat to read that people are benefiting from these conversations. Some of you say that you've never even heard Sort these sorts of things discussed in this way. Some of you really relate to uh, our our guests and are thankful that you don't feel as alone. So we want to thank you. I also want to make a a big ask for everyone to go to pastorwithnoanswers.com. Join our Facebook group. You can connect to it from there. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can do that from pastorwithnoanswers.com. And I'm going to ask everybody that's listening to this episode to go click contribute and, <clears throat> and contribute $1. 
So if you're listening to this episode, just all it is is your time. I mean, most of you can afford a dollar, and I'm going to ask you to contribute a dollar. And I, hey, I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't. I won't even know if you don't, but I'm asking you to. And one of the reasons why is my brother and I want to step up our game a little bit with with technology and work on you know work with some different softwares and um, you know microphones and all that sort of stuff. So for those of you that listen and you listen regularly, it's just a chance for you to be like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna invest a little bit in this because I enjoy it, etc., etc. And, and actually, I will be mad and I can find out who's not contributing the dollar. Oh, snap. How can you do that, Jared? <laughs> well, I've got ways. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let me speak for myself. I'm not going to be angry because pastors don't get angry. Pastors are always even keel and we always do the right thing. Whatever. Folks, Jack Hoy. All right, so we are here with Jack Hoy, a familiar voice. It's uh, Jared, I don't know if you saw this or not, but in one of our iTunes descriptions, I had uh, Jack Hoy, the father, and someone said, hey, what's up with calling Jack Hoy the father? He said, are you guys really a, a cult or something? <laughs> <laughs> and so nice. someone immediately chimed in on Facebook and said, hey, it's a father and son, dummy. Like, they have them both on there. So, <laughs> But he was seriously like, guys, this is getting a little weird. I need an explanation right now. <laughs> the father. <laughs> so this is uh, a conversation that I have... Uh, I've, I've talked to Jack a little bit about and have, have gained some insight, but I'm looking forward to some more. So I'll be kind of transparent here with the possibility of losing my reward in heaven. Uh, I hope God has mercy on me. I don't lose all my rewards, but I'm going to give you a, a snapshot of, of my giving. So Priscilla and I, we tithe, we give a little bit extra for a while. It was, uh, this, this Jared, you know, this mom and mom and dad ingrained this habit in us that for years, when I was a school teacher and single, I didn't even miss the money. Like it was just like, this money is not mine. 10% I never get. And so I didn't even think about it. Never considered it mine. As I got older though, you know, especially with some financial hard times with Priscilla, I was, I was looking at our giving and I was like, dang, man, this would really be helpful to have. Like, wow, I recognize the sacrifice. So um, I I don't believe um, one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the uh, one, one thing that I read by C.S. Lewis, and I'll just read it outright. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Again, 
I'm patting myself on the back here. I felt that. Like, there was a season of time with, with Priscilla and I. I was like, man, okay, I read this C.S. Lewis quote. Now I feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving money. Now I feel like I'm at a place where we have excess, especially with Priscilla selling houses, uh, making a little bit of money off Bad Christian podcast. Now, probably to most people, we still don't have much. I mean, we still live in a three-room townhouse, 14 square feet, but... 14? 1,400. <laughs> nice. Yeah, 14. So, but I still, I, you know, how my mind is wired up, and I, I think I'm always growing in this area, but I still struggle with legalism, condemnation. It's a constant battle. And so now that we have a little bit of excess, I think, oh, man, are we are we too comfortable? Like, should we be giving all of that extra away? I mean... And to do that, we would we would have like we couldn't go to New York City. I mean, it was we we did the trip somewhat inexpensive, but it was still a trip that we had to pay three thousand dollars for. So we wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, we'd have to give up stuff like uh, like we don't have cable, but we I don't know get rid of Netflix. We'd have to cut back on the kids' extracurricular activities, like pull back from gymnastics trips and all this stuff. So these are luxuries. I mean, so should should we be given more? I mean, Jared, you know me, I buy music on itunes i mean talk about something that third world people in third world countries are just, well i don't know i think a lot of people are starting to have cell phones all over but you know so basically is is it wrong and is is it wrong to enjoy stuff that we buy is it wrong to have luxuries and there's so many places to go with this conversation i'm about to be quiet here so i'm going to just start here jack can a christian be super rich and in god's will um yeah, good question. I mean, I guess, so pre-Christian era, but some might point to Solomon and say, you know, here's somebody for who at least a large part of his life was was uh, walking in God's will. Um, but, I, you know, I, I guess I would approach that from two points of view. Yeah. You know, one of them is, um, you know, often super rich people are obsessive about piling up wealth. I yeah. mean, that's how you get to be super rich is you're, you're fanatical about it. Is it possible to be, you know, in God's will and be fanatical about making more money? Yeah. I would question that. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that I wouldn't judge somebody and say absolutely not, but um, I'm not sure. I, yeah. You know, I, I, I would say for me, the answer would be no. Um, is it possible to be super rich and in God's will? Well, you know, I, I, at the same time, there are people who, um, uh, so, so let's just, Take an example. Let's say that you uh, you inherited your money yeah. and um, you became a believer as a you know as an adult. You know what do you do with it? Um, uh, you know it's funny. I was I was asked this question. We, we small group many years ago. I remember I, somebody? You know, the question was something like, "If you were given you know X million dollars, what would you do with it?" Yeah. And uh, you know, I, so you know me, I'm a little strange. My thing was I'd start a bank in a depressed area yeah you know the capital would support deposits of this much you could lend this much into the community that would be a way to have an impact and um so you know there are people like that there are people who think like that is yeah. that is that wrong i would say not I, you know one of the ways so the great commission says you know go ye into all the world and preach actually the way that the grammar reads it's as you're going into all the world preach the gospel to every creature. Right. And I've always kind of taken that to, to mean that God wants people in every walk of life. And, um, 
you know, it depends on what you're, where you're called to live. Yeah. Uh, are there people who are called to live among the super rich? Um, it seems that there are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you make a distinction between what, what your motivations are, not, not the condition of your bank account, but what your motivation is. Yeah, Sounds absolutely. Like. Do, pe- do you think people take, um, like Matthew eight twenty and nineteen twenty one out of context? So you've got, um, you know, the guy that says, Lord, what must I do to, you know, be righteous? He's well, you know, Jesus basically, I think he says, love me, love the father. And then the guy presses him even more. And he's like, okay, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. The dude, you know, walked away sad. People are like, see, see, that's what we should be doing. We should be. And then, uh, on it, you know, people will point to, you know, the first couple chapters in Acts and say, hey, that's what they were doing too. They were putting all their money together. They weren't hanging on to any of it. And and then you have Matthew six twenty six. look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, reap, store away. I've heard people use that as far as saying, don't save money. That's not trusting God. That's not doing the right thing. That's being too possessive of your money. Like, how, how do you take all that? Uh, yeah, my response on the last one. So other people are supposed to pay to have your children go to college? I mean, right. Well, like, how is that? I mean, in other words, my, my feeling on that stuff is there are people who are called to live in all those ways. Yeah. I had some, you know, good friends who, uh, you know, fairly early in their married life felt like, you know, God wanted them to give away everything they had. So they they sold every possession they had, turned it into money, gave all the money away, and started over. Yeah. Now, you know, that's not prescriptive, but that's what they sensed God wanting them to do. And, you know, I related also, you know, this passage with the with the rich young ruler, as he's usually called. Um, Jesus was putting his finger on that guy's problem. Right. And right. that, that's the way I think it's generally interpreted, and I think that's an accurate interpretation. Um, that, that's not a universal calling. Right, right. I agree. So, Jared, I haven't even talked to, you, I mean, you about this stuff in depth. Like, how, how do you think through all this stuff before, you know, before we move on? I'm just curious, like, with... Well, you were, you were saying earlier on about excess money. Yeah. So, do you do any saving at all for, like, for, like college or yeah. weddings or anything okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're meaning above and beyond the saving you have these this excess yeah yeah, yeah. so I, i'm just saying you know uh, again I, I am a pretty simplistic dude so uh and and i and i don't think priscilla in any way has like uh you know needs too much or something but we definitely have different levels of comfort level like right now i feel like oh wow like especially with her selling houses and stuff okay we're, we're making some extra money we don't feel pinched you know we don't have a, you know, like I think you get the picture, Jared. You know, I'm not rich or anything. No, no, I understand. But, but yeah, so we we have ex, extra money to where I mean, there there was a season of life where we didn't buy uh, plastic bags, plastic garbage bags. We just used the recycled grocery plastic bags, and I never bought any beer to keep in the house because I was just like, we just can't afford that. So we've been through those types of seasons, and now. Yeah, we we're not in that season. We have some extra money. We're saving. We're able to put money aside pretty much every month, and you know, um, take our kids on a trip and and do little things here and there. Now, part of that is we're we, you know we're, we're we are responsible with our money. I mean, we have been since sure. we've been married. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we've we've definitely made some mistakes and some of them big mistakes. But for the most part, we've had longevity of making decent decisions and and putting money aside. So I, I can't. Did I? 
Did I hear you wrong? Did you feel guilty about your trip to New York or, or not? No. I know you struggle with condemnation and stuff. No, I didn't. What I'm, what I'm saying, though, is just a general picture. Like, am, am I called as a Christian to give that stuff up? Like, should, should I not do fun things? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. So, two things. You know, first of all, I think there there's a fair amount of scripture that says, "Hey, you know, God created lots of good things, and it's yeah. good to enjoy them." And and you know, like more specifically, in uh, in Proverbs twenty one, it says, "In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has." Is it bad yeah. to save? Is it bad to save choice things, good thing? No. Um, you know, the, another verse in Proverbs. In Proverbs 14, I think it talks about how a wise man treasures his possessions. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. Where is that, you said? I think it's in Proverbs 14. And so, you know, is any of that stuff wrong? No, not in a blanket way. But, you know, like one of the things that was interesting to me when I was wrestling with this years ago was, you know, the Bible seems to speak approvingly about saving. Right. but, But condemns hoarding. Right. So what's the difference? Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember having a friend talking this through, and, you know, what we kind of concluded over time was, you know, the difference is saving for a specific purpose that you think is God-honoring is good. Yeah. Piling up money for no purpose is not good. Right. So, you know, so what, you know it's interesting. When, when my wife and I were kind of maybe, maybe at a position like you are, Joey, we had young children. We were, uh, you know, we'd kind of gotten our heads above water and, and uh, I had a conversation one night, and my wife said, you know, like, really, what do we need that we don't have? Right. And then why should we spend any more on ourselves than we're spending now? So, you know, that led to, so we talked about that. So what, what we decided to do was to freeze our standard of living. Yeah. We, um, um, so I kind of looked at, okay, what do we need to be saving for the things we're saving for? Uh, we'll save that. Uh, what 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 are we currently spending? We we feel like we feel okay with what we're spending. We we won't spend any more than that. Right. And we'll just give away the rest. So where uh, th- I mean, this may sound like a silly question, but was was part of your plan luxuries like vacations and doing fun things yeah, for we, the kids? Yeah, and, like we didn't kind of like you probably we didn't have a lavish lifestyle, but we we you know took vacations. We did fun right. things with the kids. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you froze uh, your standard of, li- of living, had you? The mortgage paid off and that sort oh, of no. thing. Okay, no, and um, uh, but so what was interesting? Actually, my income soared over the next few years. Wow. Yeah. So we so we you know like d- more than doubled our giving in like in a three year period. Yeah. It was great. It was um you know it was really a good uh, now what and then what happened? I was transferred to a different city, a city where boy the quality of your school district really varied a lot. So we ended up needing to spend more for a home and. Even like, like that was okay. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like you were never allowed to spend more in your. You know, it was, it was a good, it was a good experience for us because I think what it did for us was it broke the link between income and spending. Yeah, I think the way most people tend to approach it is, you know, the idea of how much should I give. It's kind of like the what's the minimum amount that's okay because I, I want to stay on the right side of the line, but I want to be as close to it as possible so that I can spend as much as I can. Right. And, um, you know, I think the question really, rather than how much should I give is, you know, the, or a, a, another question you could ask is how much should I keep? Yeah. And different people will answer that in different ways and they'll answer it differently in different seasons. Right. Interesting. Jack, so, so well, go ahead. my question to Jack, Jack, you've been, you've been, uh, in the church for a while, right? I mean, 
30, 40 years? Uh, no, actually, I've been in the church for just a half a dozen years. I was a business guy. Oh. Uh -huh. No, no, I mean, I mean, but you've been a Christian oh, yeah. for a long time. Yes, grew okay, up in a okay. Christian home. Right. Do, do you think, like, trends in, amongst Christians and saving have, has kind of changed over the years, or it's been relatively even keel for, for the past three or four decades? In terms of, like, with the, the typical Christian their buying habits, their spending habits, or can you even generalize like that? Well, so, Jared, if you look at the numbers, people save dramatically less than they did when I was a kid. Okay. The savings, you, the savings rate is about half of what it was, and the debt-to-income ratio is a multiple. What do you think some of the causes for that would be? Well, you know, again, we have a very materialistic culture. We have a okay. culture that, that, you know, we're very good at, at convincing ourselves that we need things. Um, and, uh, um, and, and we have this self-fulfillment ethos mm -hmm. that, you know, the most important thing is in life is that you get what you think will make you happy. So you say what you would think that it would, it's less economic and more cultural then. Well, yes. Perhaps. Yeah, I okay. do. Okay. Now, now I, you know, I would say that there are other things that go with that. Um, you know, so for example, um, when I was growing up, there was a recession every three or four years. One of the things that, that they've gotten better at doing is managing the economy so that recessions are more spaced out. Now, I would argue that that's not actually a good thing because what happens when you space them out is it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, trash piling up in the forest. When you finally have that fire, it's going to be horrific, which is, you know, which is what we experienced in 2007, 2008. Um, but... The point is that, you know, there was less of a safety net then. There were more ups and downs in the economy. So people saved more because they felt more vulnerable. So I guess with, you know, when you were, when you had a young family, what was the tension between, like, like do you think that there's, how do you feel when someone says, hey, I, I just want to give my kid the life that I never had sort of thing. And like, what's the tension between, Hey, I, you know, like, like for Priscilla and I, it, we both value being able to like, if, if we can, we recognize that it is, it is not a need. It's not putting food on the table, but if we have the money, we want them to be able to be involved in things they want to be involved in. And at the same time, we, we've pretty much, we're, we're starting to say, eventually you need to find that one thing. <laughs> like you can't be in like, you know, three or, or four different things. But is that, is, should that be important or? Well, you know, it's funny, Joey. I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll you know, talk about risking your rewards in heaven. I'll share something when, um, you know, kind of like you say, you your kids have interests. You try things. You know, right. you give them shot and see what sticks, right? See what see what they love, because that's probably what you're trying to do is help them find something that they love and that they can develop, and and hopefully something maybe that can be a lifelong thing. So, oh uh, my, like like the day that my wife came home and said, "Hey, I put Park on a horse, our daughter, and she loved it," and like. Yeah, a daughter with a horse. <laughs> and, you know, it was... Uh, so, now, uh, I'll just be honest, we were, we were spending on that, you know, on her riding. She was very good. We were spending, you know, as much as some poor families have in a year. Yeah. And that I feel guilty about that, absolutely, sometimes. Yeah. 
but you know, so should there be no horses? You know, th- this was a lifelong thing. She ended up riding in college. That's what she does today. She right. works at a she works at a barn. She, you know, it's so. It's funny. I it, it, horses luxuries, boy. Talk, you know, in one sense, an extreme luxury. Right. Um, was that wrong? I, you know, I don't think so. But I would just say that's one of the things that. It's kind of a knowable. I sometimes wonder if God brought me that in my life, really partly to humble me with the idea of, like, if you think you can be dogmatic about this stuff, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we we mention early Acts Church, and you know, it, it does say specifically that they brought all of their resources together so that no one was with need, or no one had need. It, you know, it it seemed to be a different lifestyle than what modern day church like you you don't see that sort of unity and we 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 as the church or at least it seems like we have the early church on a pedestal like man those guys you know and obviously that wasn't the the reality i mean look at the letters that paul had to write to the corinthians but what what can we learn from what was shared in acts well, I mean, is you, there any lesson for us there? Well, sure. I, I mean, I, I do. Th- so a couple things. You know, one, you know, it, it talks about how people had stuff in common, and then it talks about, and Barnabas sold a field one day and brought the proceeds. Yeah. I mean, not like, and and that happened 50 times a day. It was, that was unusual enough to be remembered. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind is, you know, I think you had people being generous with the day-to-day stuff. Um Joey, you got nothing to eat? Come on, come eat with us, you know? Um, And I don't say that to denigrate it either. Right. Um, But the idea that it was was an experiment in communal living, uh, that may be overstating things. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like I would also, like one of the the experiences my wife and I had, we had a, that seems silly, it was a luxury. I had, um, we, we, we got a chunk of money at one point. And we decided to put it aside for an anniversary. For whatever goofy reason, we had always had a goal that this particular anniversary would really take a special trip. Yeah. So we took some of this money and put it aside for that. And, and you know, a year or two later, there was this family in our church that had a need, and we ended up giving all of it to them. Yeah. And, um, and it was a, you know, it was a substantial chunk for us. Right. So as the anniversary came closer... We never had an opportunity really to put aside money again, for, right. you know, and I felt bad. I mean, it was a decision we made together, It right. was, you know, but, but I felt bad. I felt like I would deprive my wife of something. Yeah. And uh, what's actually kind of funny is out of the blue then, I got this invitation to speak at a conference in Australia. Never happened before, never happened since. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just, it was, it was kind of a real lesson to me that, yeah. you know, you know, we, God cares about the important stuff. But strangely, he also cares about giving us this luxury that we didn't need just to show this that he loved us. Yeah, you know that brings up an interesting point. Do you? Th- what if you have a guy that I mean, he's just like, dude, I, I, man, I heard something and I'm just radically changed. I want to, you know, give almost everything we have away. Let's move into a cheaper house. And the wife is like, I, I actually want things. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to make our house look nice. I want our kids to be, to have their own rooms and stuff. What's, and, and, and let's even say that maybe the wife 
does get too extravagant. Like, what kind of responsibility do you think uh, spouses have with mediating between their, I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but basically navigating between their personal convictions and the person they married and, and where they're at with everything? I, I mean, I would just say household, you got to do it as a couple. I yeah. mean, the idea that I'm right, you're not just not as spiritual as I am, so I'm going to drag you along with me, I, I just don't think that works. Yeah. And, and see, the other thing, too, is you know, we can't forget that preferences enter into this. You know, most couples, they have one skin flint and one extravagant whatever. I mean, you know, it's obviously an exaggeration, but I mean, right. my point is, you, you know, most couples, you have people at different places on that continuum, and you've got to honor that in each other. You know, part of the, I'm going to give away everything, and and, and let me guess which one of those two you are. You right. Uh, no, I'm not saying that in a blanket way, but but so often it does align with, hey, this feels good to me anyway. Right. And... um I yeah I, I I would say like I would say that's an area where I've made mistakes uh, particularly early on you know just kind of the yeah well yeah but but I'm right and you're not so we should do it my way. Here's an interesting one I, and I just thought of this. What about the dude or uh, the dude that becomes a Christian? His wife is not. They they still have a decent relationship. But she says, absolutely not. We're not giving any of our money. Like, And it's it's not a church thing. It's we're not giving it to any nonprofit. And he's just like, yeah, but I really feel like we need to, you know, tithe or part with some of our money. And she's like, absolutely not. You think the husband should be like, oh, okay. Well, you know, it's a, I mean, so how do you handle that with wisdom? I can think of several different ways, but it would depend on the, the individuals involved, right. right? I mean, I think if it was me... Um, you know, one of the things I think about is say, well, can we talk about what you think is good in terms of the community? Are there things that are okay to give to that would benefit other people? Could yeah. we? And if you, and if we agree on some of those things, could you start there? I mean, you know, part of the thing is trying to, you know, with any time where where you've got two people at different places and you're trying to figure out a place to meet, you're talking about small steps. Yeah. And so trying to be wise about that and, and again, trying to be considerate. I. Um, I, I, I just, I don't think it ever really helped uh, trying to compel your partner. Um, you know, how's that going to help her or help him Yeah. come, you know, see who Jesus really is. Yeah. You guys are both in ministry. So what do you think the, the church's role should be in kind of undermining or correcting this culturally ingrained materialism? Hmm. I mean, I, I definitely think it needs to be talked about more and i I mean our our church from the pulpit yeah i do i mean and and our you know our our church for example and obviously some people will hear this in all sorts of different ways because uh i would say most people i talk to really like the guy but then there's some people are just like man don't like him but we're we're basically encouraging our whole church to go through financial peace university with uh dave ramsey and so, you know, obviously he wants to have a a culture of of generosity. So, our church is definitely taking somewhat of uh, of an initiative in helping people have a better relationship with money. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about the number of times Jesus talks about money, I think it's more than any other subject. So, obviously the church should take some sort of a similar approach. And, you know, I I think the the tough position that the church is in right now, too, is I I personally think the number 
is 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 growing. We've talked a little bit about this before uh, with with Jack too. I think the number is increasing of people that distrust the the model of church that currently exists. Like it it definitely was in its heyday in the '90s. Started I think with Willow Creek. I'm probably mm-hmm. you know You're may right. not be totally accurate, but I I just think that is possibly has its shelf life, and and we could be in the next decade or so seeing the vast majority of people saying, yeah, that's just not what we should do anymore. I, you know? Well, I would agree. My, my, my argument, Joey would be that it's a more of a pendulum thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, one way I got a picture of that is that, is that we were talking to my dad a few years ago and his critique of a church, of a, the mega church movement was exactly the same as my son's. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, people tend to be like, Hey, this is shallow and we're not really getting after the heart of God. And, and then after 20 years of that, it's like, hey, we're so inward, we can't even talk to anybody. Nobody understands our strange language, and yeah. we got to you know, be relevant <laughs> to the culture again. Right. And yeah. So, so you know, I think the church navigates between those two extremes. Yeah. And maybe there's less giving nowadays because maybe in these mega churches, people feel there's a greater disconnect between the act of giving and them seeing the fruits of the giving. Like if you, if you knew, if you could directly help a family by giving them $100 to feed them for a week— you, you experience that firsthand, and maybe people in a megachurch don't get that sense when they give their money on a weekly basis. Not to excuse it. I'm just saying yeah, that could be one reason why there's not as much giving. Yeah. No, that, I, you know, Jared, that's a really good insight. And, um, you know, one of the things that people have discovered is, like, if you say, you know, 100,000 people died in, of starvation in sub-Saharan Africa last month, people kind of yawn. If you show them a picture of a starving child— the heart goes out to them. So part of the thing about, again, we're, it's like we're wired to respond to personal stories, not to statistics. And the giving that you do in a very large church can feel more like you're having an impact on the margin of some statistic rather than yeah. affecting a story. Yeah. Which kind of leads to another question. I mean, should we feel overwhelmed by world poverty? There's so much poverty in the world around us, but sometimes we just, there's like this huge disconnect. Should we be burdened as Christians for that world poverty? You know, I, so so here's what I think. Um, you know, God never says, "Hey, you know, until uh, world poverty is eradicated, you haven't followed my will." But there's this passage in Matthew that I that you know kind of jumped out at me however many years ago that I've. It's just one of my favorite passages of scripture, and it says, um, uh, "Who then is the faithful and wise servant?" whom the master has entrusted to give food to his household at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And, you know, my deal kind of is none of us are called to save the world. But God has not given us the opportunity to give food, literally or otherwise, to some people in a corner of that world. Yeah. Who are they? How, how, how can, rather than being overwhelmed at the world's problems, who are the people I'm supposed to give food to? Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like I I believe that if if all Christians, if the church truly challenged themselves to be more giving, I think everybody would also sense less pressure and maybe even conviction or, or condemnation of I'm not giving enough because we would be like, oh my gosh, together. We're all giving a portion, and it's making a big difference. But I, I think what 
what we could sense and not realize it is it's like so few people are giving. It seems so overwhelming. It's like, man, you know, I wish I could help so many different things, which, oh, yeah, we could Mm -hmm. if we were all, you know, giving. Sure. How do you feel about New Testament versus Old Testament in, in giving? Like I've heard some people say, you know, Malachi pretty much is what we need to be living by, you know, as far as the tithe and bringing it into your, uh, to the storehouse. And then people quote Paul by saying, you know, give cheerfully and, you know, pretty much stretch yourself with, with your giving. And so some teachers have taken that and said, Hey, that the tithe thing, that's, that's, that's out of here. Like you, you, you know, if you have more money, you should probably be giving more than 10%. And if that straps you too much you probably shouldn't be doing that there's there's not this certain standard that you need to be shooting for like how do you feel i i, I kind of fall into the camp of paul had every opportunity to tell people to tithe and he never did and yeah. i don't think that was an accident yeah and you know so the question of how do you apply this old testament teaching but you know the law no longer applies so what do we do with the principles of the law and and as you know you kind of summarized paul's deal was you know give you know, generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, and uh, and it is the deal kind of is, and everybody needs to work that out for themselves. Right. You know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think it says, I know it says somewhere, it, it, Hebrews twelve talks about you know run with perseverance the race marked out for you. You know, your race is likely to be different than mine in some important respects, and the issue isn't to compare each, you know, for you and I to compare each other to ourselves. It's to run the race that God has marked out for us. Yeah. Yeah. My brother and I, we definitely grew up in cultures where they would certainly have instructed the single mother that literally didn't have enough money for three meals. And they would say, no, you still need to tithe because you'll see miracles then. (laughs) you, You would have no problem with saying, look, if you feel like you have such little money that you can't give, then ride this season out and, you know, maybe get some advice and wisdom from some financial people that are smart to help you out and get get yourself to a place where you can give again. Well, I think two things. You know, one of them is, and I don't know if either of you have read um, uh, a book called Toxic Charity, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the author's name. He's a, he's been a long time involved in inner city ministry in Atlanta. His kind of argument is that one of the things that we do there there are there are two ways to deal with poverty. You know, one of them is the relief situation. A tsunami hits a country that thousands of people died. You know, there's they they desperately need to have you know just fresh water airlifted in and food yeah. and or you know, or they're going to die. Um, but that's not normal. A normal setting. If you have someone who is struggling with chronic poverty, giving them food as if it was a re- emergency relief situation is not going to really help them. They're, you're going to keep them dependent. You right. know, what you need to do is help them learn healthy habits. But at the same time, if you if your message to someone who's getting ready to starve is, well, here's a healthy habit you can adopt. Go do that, and God will bless you. I, I have a little trouble with that too. Yeah. Um, so Jesus said the poor will always be among us. Do you think that that gives us reason to? All right. So the poor will always be amongst us. And we also know that money, you know, it doesn't equal happiness. A lot of us, we, we fall into that. I've fallen into that. 
But with, with those two things in mind, I mean, could it be God's will for some people to be poor? Like, is that, is that God's will? I, I think that would be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, what was the context? You know, you got uh, Judas, of all people, saying, hey, she shouldn't have poured that perfume on you. You're, you know, we could have given that money to the poor. And right. in one of the Gospels it said, and he said this because he used to help himself to what was in the money bag. Um, and Jesus is saying, look, you'll always have opportunities to help the poor, but here's what she's doing now to honor me. Right. It wasn't a, let me make a profound theological statement about poverty in the world. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I would just tell you, I, I think that um, if tomorrow what we could do is we could re- reallocate all wealth so that as of 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, everybody had exactly the same amount of everything. What I would say is that before the week was over, you would have poor people and rich people again. <laughs> and and then is that because of lack of maturity, lack of education, or sometimes lack of just good, healthy skills? Yeah, you know. And this is what you know. You were talking earlier about the you know, like the parents who just want to give their kids good things. Yeah. Okay. Boy, any parent, every parent has that desire. Um, but what are you teaching your kids about money? Right. Are you teaching them that the most important thing in the world is how prestigious the expensive thing that you just got is? Right. Are you teaching them that that having things is worth you know living lives of heavy stress over? You know why are so many people stressed about money? Right. I think part of it is because they grew up in homes where pe- where their parents were stressed about money, right. and they just think that's normal. They don't think there's anything unusual about that, right. or that, that there's even another way to live. Right. Yeah, I had a a trip. I was planning a trip to Washington D.C. with a huge group of middle school kids, and they, they definitely came from a, uh, a, a lower socioeconomic um, neighborhood. And basically, I met with the parents, and I said, "Look." You know, if, if I'm not asking y'all to pay the full price, but I'm definitely challenging everybody to come up with $75, $80. The full price was probably 300 350 And some of them were just like, man, we really want our kids to be able to go. We can't afford that. And one of the, one of the families that was adamant against, hey, we just can't give anything towards this trip. And, you know, I'm telling them six, seven months before the trip, after a basketball game, we go to CC's Pizza, and their son literally, they gave him a $20 bill to have fun with the video games. And it was like, oh my gosh. Like, and, and, that, and, and they seriously weren't trying to dupe me. It wasn't like, oh, we do have the money, but we're not going to tell them. It was seriously a mismanagement. It was, it was like, wait a second, we can't come up with 75, not even thinking that once in a while, here's a 20. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Jared's still laughing. <laughs> no, I just can't. I can't fathom like sinking twenty dollars into video games. Right. If you don't have any money. Right. But you know, it's interesting. I was reading a story about a a. Um, in fact, it might have been in that toxic charity book, and, and basically, this you know, single mom came to this church desperately needing help. So they really helped her. They got her into an apartment. They gave her money for food. Blah blah blah, and. uh 
later, you know, X period of time later, she's still in need, and they found, I can't remember what it was, but it was the equivalent of that. She was giving her kids money for video games. Yeah. And they were just outraged. You know, you're wasting the, and it was interesting. This guy went and talked to her. And she was, it's like she was just brokenhearted, but she said, I just wanted my kids to have like a feeling like they were normal. Right. Well, you can, you can yeah. understand yeah. that. Yeah. And, and again, that, that isn't, a, I'm not trying to say, and that made it a good decision. Right. But, you know, uh, it, it's funny, I think, when you spend time with people who have lived in poverty, they just think completely differently than we do. Yeah. And it's hard for people who grew up in middle class households put themselves in their heads. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been good. I, I don't want to, I want to make sure you don't have anything extra on your sheets there that we <laughs> missed out on. <laughs> what, what would you say to, you know, just, just church in general, you know, if about money, well, for one thing, I think sometimes we can talk about money as if the object of the Christian life is to give away as much money as you can, and that is just not—that's not true. It's one among many things. We talk that way sometimes because our culture is obsessed with money. And I just think that's one of the things. All right, hold on, real quick. So you're you're saying that's not what Christianity is all about, but part of it is is giving away as much money as you can. I, what I would just say is the giving away as much money as you can. I don't know. You know, be generous. Be cheerful about yeah. it. Be sacrificial. Gotcha. As much money as you can. I just think people are called to different things. Right. One thing our I've heard our senior pastor or founding pastor say, which I think can easily be misconstrued, but I totally hear his heart in this, and it's actually refreshing. But there will be times, and, I, you know, uh, the the guy we're talking to, Jack, has has a hand in helping our church make responsible decisions and all that stuff. But I've heard Pastor Greg say, "It's just money," mm-hmm. and what he's what he's trying to say is exactly what what you said is we put so much emphasis on money, and it's like, well, wait a second, it what what are we saying that money is like the yeah. absolute highest good? <laughs> like yeah. money is everything, and that's so refreshing. You don't hear that often because yeah. as as important as money is it is also a it's a resource that we're just supposed to steward it's not like the end all be all it's funny you know in the in the thing where you know jesus says you cannot serve both god and money and the word he uses for money is sometimes translated mammon it's just interesting the way he talks about it. he talks about it like it's an evil force yeah and again i think that's deliberate you know there's something about stuff that really does capture most hearts, maybe all hearts, yeah. to some extent, unless you're purposeful about seeing it for what it is and doing things to counteract it. And I, I actually think that's one of the disciplines, one of the reasons that a, a, a giving discipline is important is to, so that you're regularly counteracting that tendency in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I need to let you get back to your private jet so you can... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Go watch my daughter uh, ride her horse. <laughs>